Welcome to Cardano Over Coffee with your host, Lado Nation, Jenny Burrito, and Cook Time. I hope you enjoy the show. Are there several Swedes in here? Yeah, where the Swedes at? Let's see those emojis. Where the Swedes at? <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're Swedish, please come up. Please come up. We have urg- urgent questions of national security. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Swedes are really known for taking the step forward. (laughs) (laughs) Like very shy people. You know, the only... They keep keep it private. I know. Um, The only only connection I have to to Sweden um, is a book I read called A Man... (laughs) (laughs) A Man Called Ove. Oh, man, that's a great (laughs) one. That's a really good one. They made a movie. It's really trendy here in Sweden. I've seen it three or four times. And now it's going to be made in Hollywood. And Tom Hanks is is going to start. uh, How do you say? He got the role anyway. Right. Uh, But they changed the name. It's about the old grumpy man that he's he's not so grumpy, but uh, he is. Ah, You need to see the movie, man. It's really good. (laughs) If you like non- Non-highlighting superhero movies. This is a good one. I like your summary. Uh, <laughs> that sounded like it could have been on like a poster board or something. You could be in a marketing department for that. <laughs> <laughs> like the banner, like the banner with that's going all over the internet. With we're looking for a graphic designer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reply to it that. It works. Like, your picture of Tom Hanks with your, you know, your words of, of the story and you could get it. Wow. Well, I read the book. I really loved it. Um, so I will see it when Tom Hanks plays it. There you go, people. This this segment of Cardano or Coffee bringing you literature and movie critic is brought to you by, um, let's see, what's a good thing? Um, it's- Sam. Bigman Fried at FTX. There you go. He sponsored this out of the goodwill of his heart because he believes in the crypto industry. Okay. Can anybody? So, wh- where's Alessandro? You have it in the title. I came in for, for Alessandro. For you, but... He's here. He's listening. You'll be at the top of uh, the hour, Chatty. Just cool your just horses. Just clickbait. <laughs> clickbait. Minutes, Chatty, it minutes. is clickbait. Like, We're really? using Alessandro as a clickbait. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> Hook him up. Uh, you know, normally we start like at ten, but he's he's here enjoying the the banter, which I love. Did you guys watch the Weird Al movie? I think it's hysterical. Is it recent? Yeah, it's a biopic, but it's like nonsensical biopic, and it's just it's just it's just freaking hysterical. Harry Potter is in it, isn't it? <laughs> well, not Harry Potter, but yes, the actor that plays Harry Potter. Is yes. he playing Brad Weird Cliff, Al? And he's hysterically funny. Hmm? It's in Roku yet. Channel. It's in the Roku Channel. Oh, the Roku Channel. That is mm-hmm. what's They're making I movies totally now. Missed, I missed that on. Oh. I watch it when I'm in the States then because we don't get Roku here. Oh, that's funny. You know, Weird Al made the funniest post about that. Somebody was saying that it's not playing in their country. And, dude, I have to find this, uh, the clip of that post. He said, he's so funny. He said something like, um, well, have you heard of a, I'm sure, I, I'm sure you, you have a VPN, which is 
very non, I don't know. He, he, he did something really funny. He's like, I'm sure you had a torrent of questions kind of like hinting all the all the non-legal ways that you can watch it <laughs> if you use a VPN in a torrent. <laughs> so yeah, you can definitely try to find with a VPN a way to watch it. Ooh, we should talk about torrents <clears throat> someday. In Have many ways, seen... they paved the way for blockchain. Have you guys seen the, the Phantom at the Open? It just came out oh. on... I don't know what channel. Phantom of the Open, you said? The Phantom at the Open. Instead of at the Opera, it's at the Open. No, I can't have open. It. What's opening? This sounds like a euphemism for something. It's open. like a tennis match? Oh, no, man. It, it's a golf tournament. You know, golf tournaments also are called Open. I don't know why. Because maybe. Because oh, it's, it's a playing word ball. with like a golf <laughs> thing. Okay. But it's fun in the way that. Uh, I saw the whole whole movie and I, I, I waited for the whole movie for the guy to to actually get the break, and he never does. Um, it's a really, it's it's like the whole movie. You get a feeling that something is going to happen, but it doesn't. It's it's that really sounds interesting. Like life. Yeah, that that's what I it it just felt like the crypto market since two thousand and whatever it was when I started buying, and it's like always like maybe next time, maybe next time, maybe next time, and we're still here, man. <laughs> it's like this guy's story, you know, uh, the Phantom at the Open. It's really it's it's a good movie in a way that it's about real life. It, it shows the life of someone who didn't really made it but kept trying so yeah it's i think it's a good movie to see it's not like spider-man he's not gonna get a nice chick and you know defeat enemies and it's not like that i think more, more movies should be written this way you know that's like reflects the majority of, of of reality or maybe not i don't know they say movie is supposed to give you high hopes and false dreams so maybe if this showed reality, then it, it loses its, its luster or something. I don't know. Have you guys it seen... It loses mustard, you said? Mustard, luster, oh, yes, okay. whatever. Yeah, both works, actually. <laughs> to be honest, the story sounds a lot like Hero's NFT purchasing history. You know, he just keeps trying. Pretty much close to none. Yeah. <laughs> he Whoa, up, keep on trying. Know. Cook time, why is hand up? What's up, Cook Time? Oh no, I'm back. You're, I'm just like now. There was a you're arriving. They were following me, bro. I was so nervous. I was like, I'm like in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, they can probably like see through, and they can see I'm in, in this stupid Twitter space, and like they're gonna pull me over some stupid silly stuff. But yeah. But yeah, I'm excited for Barry Alice. I think we have a few more minutes of banter. I know that Hero definitely wanted us to announce that he has a YouTube channel up and running for Cardano Over Coffee. It will have a few interviews up there. It's still a work in progress, but definitely go give that some love. Uh, this is Cardano Over Coffee. We do this Monday through Friday at 1.30 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. 2.30 Oh, you said 2.30? Daylight savings, whatever. Until we until we, we rug the space, basically. 
But that is a quick little morning roll, not mid-roll, but morning roll. And that's all from me for now. It's a morning roll. So yeah, just to be clear, what now at, we now start at 2.30 UTC. Um, so keep that in mind. It's always 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, to be honest. So we just adjust. Um, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, I stopped doing the Eastern or Central because so many random people are over the place, right? But I know that's really what we stick to. We just want to kind of keep it always yeah. that same Right. The same that's schedule true. For, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why we targeted East Coast morning, but I guess the idea was like, <laughs> most you know, of us are on the East Coast. Maybe that's why. Exactly, and there's a lot of economy. You know, like the stock market is on those hours. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of a lot of worldly folks uh, tune in for that segment of news. A lot of worldly folk. Is that what you said, Epunk? Yeah, worldly folk. Is that not I'm from Texas? What do you want from me? Welcome to Godano of a coffee home of the worldly folks. Um, what are you... You... <laughs> Alessandro, you're up here. You want to share with us what you drink in the mornings? You don't drink coffee, do you? Hey, guys. Um, no, I just I just drink, drink water. <laughs> Nothing special. But uh, for me, it's also uh, half past three right now. So not really in the morning for me. Yeah, that's true. Um, besides water, is there anything else you like to drink? Tea? You like to drink tea? Juice? Uh, yeah, I don't drink tea that often. I don't drink coffee at all. Tea sometimes, but yeah, usually just water. Actually, there you have it, guys. Water helps your brain. <laughs> water no really coffee, does. No sugar. How do you oh, think he built all that stuff he built? Is is all the water? Water is the best thing to drink, actually. It's like a it's a renewable energy these days. You just move the water around and you get energy. I think also he's the onto big, something. The biggest blockbuster of the year that's been that's been in the making for ten years is called the way of the water. Like, is this coincidence? I think not. What's up, Chatty? Speaking of drinking stuff, man, when I grew up, I, I'm 42 right now, but when I was a teenager, I was training, you know, I was trying to be a strong man. <laughs> so people told me that in order to get muscles, you need to drink eggs, raw eggs. <laughs> that was the most disgusting thing I think I ever put into myself, like like with my own will. Drinking eggs, it's... Uh, I, don't, I cannot even describe it, but I did it because I wanted to be bigger, you know, to, ah, to get muscle. Wait, 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 Paul. Isn't, isn't 42 considered a, a teenager in Sweden? Yeah, well, if you look at the overall population, I'm a teenager, yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm in the candy zone. <laughs> in the candy sound, you said? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It's uh, it's a really nice. I'm not from here. I I was born in Romania, and then I lived in Spain for like ten years, and then I came to Sweden. The Swedish people are really nice. They're they like, in the beginning, so so many, so many other you know outlanders like me said they're cold. They're not cold. They just keep distance, uh, but they they keep distance to everyone, not just to you, to their families too. So it's it's a way of life. 
in the beginning it, it's a little bit strange but then again when you when you get to understand the ways it's i think it's nice with distance you know you have your own shit and you keep a certain distance and you want people to be closer you open the door or you get yourself closer and it works for everyone i i don't think i would change this back for how it was before when everyone was in my life and whatever i wanted or not they they're not they're not uh, you know they're smart i I'm going to get like personal really quick, but I think that's awesome that you're from Romania. I was originally born in Romania and I was adopted when I was really young. So I've been living in Florida most of my life. And through the years, I think I've only met like one or two Romanians in my life, right? And then I start getting involved in crypto and we're fucking everywhere. There's so many Romanians. It's insane. Like even... um the founder of dead pixels romanian like fabrizio half romanian like it's insane and it makes me so happy that i don't know i felt like i found like family long distance i don't know i feel reconnected it's great so now you're gonna have to take a trip back to romania girl right wait wait yeah. is being romanian this um as fluid as being male let's ask oh. chatty he's had his hand up maybe he knows yeah, Chaddy, that question's for you. Well, if you look at nationalities as being part of countries, and countries are a construct too, because borders don't make sense. So I would say, yes, being of a certain nationality is just as much a fluid thing as it is as gender. Yeah, man. I'm from Venezuela and I'm from the U.S. And yeah, from I feel Venezuela. Like I'm from, yeah, I grew up there and I was born and raised there until I was 20. Wow. I moved to the you States know, when I was 20. Looking, I didn't even look, speak English <laughs> until I was 20. My The second part of my name, Kukuruz, it, it means corn. Uh, it's an it's a inside joke from my, from my teenage years. And I, I've got I've met a lot of Romanians in crypto and NFT and CNFT and mostly because of my name, because when they say it means we use that word to say dick, but in a in a certain context. So when they say when they see the name Paul Cucuruz, it's just like, nah, so they write to me and say, come on, man, is really that your name? And I say, no, but it works really well to get new friends. So I think nine out of 10 Romanians that I know in crypto and NFT have come to me. We, we started like this, right? Really? <laughs> so, okay. Okay. So they Paul. all came to you for your PP? Exactly. Let me, let me, let me, <laughs> let me ask you this, right? So every time I have a stupid idea, uh, a light donation, uh, my Which partner, are many. <laughs> my partner likes to say this phrase, vibe attracts your tribe. Right. And, uh, <laughs> so what is the vibe of... <laughs> it also can kill your tribe, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways, I digress. From nothing to nothing. Chatty, why did you have your hand up before? I kind of forgot because you guys were going on and on and on, but... 
Yeah. Anyway, talking I, about I coffee and what you drink on, and things like that. We know you I, drink I was, tea. I am a tea drinker. I am a very specific tea drinker. I take I take my tea with me everywhere I go when I travel. So I only drink black Assam tea. And if I don't find it, my go-to is breakfast tea, which is usually Assam filled anyway. But yeah. Where are you from originally? I am Lebanese. Ah, man, I was close, but not too close. I would have guessed from Iran. I There's a lot of people from Iran here. I mean, they... I know I know Hezbollah owns Lebanon, but no, I'm not hearing. No. <laughs> there's a, it's a certain flow in the way you talk. It's a, a little bit more poetic, like more yeah. nice in such a way that I thought that, ah, maybe you are a Persian. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Farsi and the Persian people, when they speak English, they have like a very specific way of speaking. And living in Dubai, we have a lot of Persians here. And uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Look, I heard that in Dubai, you pay uh, very low taxes. Is that true? Well, on paper, yes. But okay. everything costs money, so you're kind of paying the tax in a different way. Like, <laughs> for example, like you don't have income tax, so whatever you take home, you take home. Okay, don't tell me more. I'm sold. I'm calling. <laughs> but but that's why Europeans come here because it's much. At the end of the day, you end up saving more in Dubai, depending where you are from Europe, because some Europeans, I think, started chasing people for tax, even like Americans do. But yeah, a lot of Europeans have moved, opted to move to Dubai to make more money than they would at home because anyway, the salaries are more and then they're tax-free. I think with the exception of Switzerland, Dubai, people in Dubai would probably make more at the end of the day than anywhere else. Just so you know, Paul, if you leave Sweden and go to Dubai, you won't be a teenager anymore and you would die sooner. So Ah, oh, snap. There is there is that to factor in. And on that cherry note. Because of uh, I went to Spain went to Spain really early. I was twenty years old, but I, I always dreamed of living in Spain somewhere near the beach and the mountains and that that was for my soul. And when I came okay. here, I came for love. So it's not money. I don't care how much money I have. At the end of the month, I don't have any. So for me, it doesn't really matter. I always have a good time because that's what I'm here for. That's what life is about, having fun. So whatever I have in my pockets is for that to use, you know, to have fun. That little statement was brought to you by Rare Evil. It's coming in 2023. I have to say, it really sounds like you say evil. You're going to have to, like, <laughs> module like, yeah, evil or something. Say it with us. <laughs> Maybe he did mean evil, but he's using his accent to cover it up. Okay, moving on. You know what 40 of you are here for? is probably to hear from Barry about stuff that you're not going to hear from Barry about. But hopefully... You, the stuff that we do talk about will be interesting and fun and try to keep it on topic um, when we do get into the Q&A part. Uh, but without further ado, let's 
give our guest, Barry Ellis, a warm emoji, round of emojis. Let it rip. Let it flow. Nice. Mr. Alice, my good sir, welcome. How are you this morning? Hey, what's up? Um, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much for the invite. Great. Thanks for being here. Before we get into it, why don't you tell the uninitiated how you came to be in Cardano? Uh, I, I told it last time, right? <laughs> okay, but I, I can do it again. Um, so I came to Cardano in 2020. And before that, I was uh, involved in Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think I got into crypto in general in 2018. And um, yeah, Cardano came in 2020, shortly before um, the, the Shelly hot fork. So when all these stake pools were coming online. So um, I also had my stake pool coming online then, uh, the Berry stake pool. And yeah, since then I'm here and building a lot of things. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Well, get into it. What What did you come to share with us today? I invited him, actually. So <laughs> I do have some things that I wanted to cover today um, because there's so many different things that uh, have been going on. So I wanted to, you know, um, kind of consolidate some of these things in once. So I appreciate Alice taking your time uh, coming up here, sharing with us. Uh, I know it's sometimes it's hard with the time differences, so this kind of works. Uh, Cardano over coffee, we do offer a good time for you, which is excellent. I wanted to um, just kind of like congratulate you, of course, for first of all for the uh, the Matrix Berry um, drop that you did recently, where you pretty much used it as a proof of concept to. Uh, help us visualize a little bit of your idea behind CIP uh, 67 and CIP 68. So I wanted to see if you can just call in a, in a nutshell, say which aspects of CIP 67 and 68 did you kind of like uh, were able to pack it within the matrix berry? Um, how shall I explain this? <laughs> I mean, basically... Did you use the asset label? Did you come up with a label course, for yeah. that? Okay. I mean, Sorry. the whole idea um, of the matrix berries were to, as you said, showcase a new way of, um, first of all, minting, and secondly, um, creating NFTs with this new standard, CP67, 68. Um, and also, of course, to drop in an awareness for these. Um, so the idea behind um, CFP67 came up when I created together with um, Thomas from IOG, CFP68, the um, metadata standard, um, because I realized, well, we have CFP25, we have probably one or two other um, proposed standards for metadata. And I was like, well, we have all these tokens, but they don't, you can't really like uh, classify them or put, in, put them into categories. What if a wallet or a, a third party sees a certain asset, then how does it know what to do with it? I mean, 
you can always tr- try and brute force all options and say, okay, let's try and check if it's an NFT and go to the CIP25 metadata. Oh, it's not there. Go to this one. Oh, it's not there. And so on. So you try bas- basically everything until maybe one fits, but you don't actually have a like a proof if this is correct. So, and of course, you also don't want to have this risk of you create CIP68 metadata and um, suddenly another metadata standard can overshadow this, uh, yeah, other metadata standard. So it's the idea of CIP67 is you put a label in front of um, the asset name. So whenever a third party or wallet receives his wallet uh, token, he knows exactly what to do with it. Uh, you know, it's okay. Oh, this is an NFT. There's an NFT. I have to go uh, and do this procedure, um, get this UTXO occurred in metadata and so on. So that's uh, the idea of CFP67 that came up when I created CFP68. And um, can I just pause it for a second, just in case that so we yeah. can like make sure that <laughs> <laughs> this is okay? So, coffee cup. Do you have a question regarding that? What's going on? Yeah, I just wanted to, maybe I thought it'd be good to give some basic definitions of all the the dragon um, for the people that might be uninitiated. Uh, anything in particular, any question, like a particular um, jargon? Yeah, and if Barry can just say in his own words, I just go through them. CIP, what is that? Oh, yeah, sure. So CIP stands for Cardano Improvement Proposal, and is basically a repository that holds, um, yeah, multiple proposals from people of the community trying to make Cardano better, basically. Great, <laughs> and, and then, oh, go on. Yeah, and, and most of these standards um, contain a, like a formal, like a specification of how to do th- certain things. So uh, yeah, it's very precise. Indeed, and then 25. You mentioned CIP25. What is that? Um, so CIP25 is the first metadata standard that was proposed by me uh, on Cardano. So um, I launched SpaceBuds with it, the berries, and then uh, basically all NFT projects uh, rely on the standard. Um, so... CIP25 and CIP68 are kind of like trying to achieve uh, the same thing, but f- from different, I don't know how to say it, like uh, different angles, I would say. Okay, um, just three more things on here. So why don't you just uh, give the basic definition for 68, and then we've been saying 67 as well. Um, what are those? So well, I guess that the 67 is the is the classifying, the, the one with, that's the CIP that proposes the classification of asset types, correct? Which is what we're talking yes. about right now. So 67, um, d- d- say that again, Jenny, proposes what? Uh, the classification of asset types for basically like the current, the, currently the way that assets are identified is like by policy ID and, and asset name, but we don't have an asset type, meaning okay. that we don't have info about what the asset is about or anything like that and then 68 is what okay so 68 is um about 
during oh how should i say this <laughs> I, I try to not make it too complicated or technical but <laughs> is um, the metadata standard the for all asset classes using datum right using sorry? output datums is yeah, the yeah. the metadata standard for all asset classes not just nfts exactly so the primary idea is to have the metadata um not in yeah I don't, I don't know how to say it because auxiliary data no one can work with this word basically whenever you right now store metadata on chain they are not really um part of the utxo they just put in the block but they are then just part of the history so you can't really um they're yeah they're not part of the utxos and so you can't get them into Pluto scripts and stuff like that. And with CAP68, you put these metadata directly into a UTXO. So um, it's much more dynamic because suddenly you can um, do d update metadata controlled under certain um, yeah validation rules. You can... Um, yeah, you can update, you can just do it the same thing as before, just keep it entirely immutable. And um, the thing with- Yeah, I've called this to be a little bit more elegant, right? Like, like for example, on something that we can probably connect with, it's just the, the lock policies versus open policies, and how even if you decide to have a lock policy, you should be able to burn your asset if you want to, right? Something that you can't do otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I mean because that, lock, like lock, there's some lock. people that say that you don't really need so much dynamic stuff for all NFTs, for example. But that should also be taken under consideration, right? Because even if you don't want to have so much, you know, the, the dynamic aspect of it, at least you should be yeah. able to to do that, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, this whole unlocked and locked. Uh, policies is um, I'm not sure if you can, this only applies to simple scripts like native scripts where you, all you can do is specify a slot and say okay I can mint whatever I want to until this point, but whenever you go into like Pluto scripts you could even make use of Pluto scripts with CIP25 partially I would say, but you can fully leverage leverage it with uh, CIP68. So um, I, I think in general, there's like a little misconception of what is unlocked and locked. And when something is locked, you can mutate it. Um, the thing is, you can specify all these rules within a Pluto script and say, um, like I did with the matrix berries, uh, demonstrated it yesterday with uh, how you can update a description. You, the, the entire metadata it's not changeable. So this is set into the the rules of the contract, but it allows you to update a description field only if you hold the NFT. But you specify that ahead of time, which parts of the metadata can be Yeah. I can be changed. I define it in the contract and then whenever you mint the the policy or the contract follows these rules, so you can't do anything about it. And SIP68 is, is enabling all of that. And then just the last thing, 
two 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 and three three three. What are those? Yeah, so um, these are like SAP standards, or like more precise standards. Um, so two 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 is a label from the CFP sixty seven, and the label indicates okay. So these tokens are NFTs. Uh, you find the metadata for this token inside of UTXO X, whatever. So you know what to do with this asset. And 222 is for NFTs, 333 is for uh, fungible tokens. So this also makes it very like convenient for, for wallets or uh, third parties to um, classify these assets. So you, you know directly, okay, I can put this asset into this box. So for instance, NAMI, I'm doing this like this. I, I have this one tab for fungible tokens and the other tab for uh, collectibles or NFTs. And there's no need to query all the metadata up front to determine what type it is, but you know it directly. So I think this is pretty cool and um, it's much nicer to visualize things with, with that. So yeah, 222 is for NFTs, 333 for fungible tokens. Excellent. There's a prefix. A, it's a um, prefix for the labels, right? Exactly. How you define it. Okay. I'll pin a tweet that Barry put out a while ago about some other stuff too for people who want to follow along. Back to you, Jenny. Thank you very much. No, that's fine. But actually, it's like really interesting because I was reading about that too. Uh, since you mentioned that, Alido, and it's um, I just I guess you it's it's fixed to a specific size and i guess you're i I was reading something that uh about making kind of adding adding like some extra layer of protection from accidentally using a standard i guess um is is that what the (laughs) issue was at the beginning that people were complaining about the the name part because I wanted to kind of understand that. Like, is this to protect the, that somebody doesn't just call their asset to to do something and start using a standard that they weren't trying to do at the beginning? To begin exactly. With? So okay. that, that's the point. So there is a likelihood that when the standard's too easy to use, that you could um, like uh, randomly use it, but you don't even know you use it. Like, you don't know about the standard, but coincidentally use this label for whatever reason. And then you could become like victim of a, like a spreader because all the entire ecosystem is aware of standard and displays things accordingly. But if you don't know about it um, and accidentally use it, well, yeah, then someone can spoof things and yeah, messy stuff. Which kind of brings me back to like that flaw that if you can just kind of, Try to explain it a little, a little bit. The whole twenty-five, the CIP twenty-five flaw yeah. that you talk about, the metadata spoofing, which is, you know, being injecting C, the CIP twenty-five into the minting transaction. That part is, I, I, if you can just try to like <laughs> use different words because yeah. it's a it's a concept that's been really hard for me to even grasp, and I know for a lot of people they they still don't get it. So yeah, so. Right now, it hasn't been really an issue because everyone is minting, of course, um, um, NFTs properly with the CAP25 standard. But most of these mints are entirely centralized. So you have to check 
um, if the metadata are in there correctly or um, if they are not in there, so you check it via centralized uh, server or whatever. But the problem is that um, these metadata are simply um, attached to the transaction. So we assume that when we mint a token and attach metadata to it, then it's fine. Yeah, it works, but now imagine someone um, like a DEX or whatever, they, they mint and burn liquidity tokens all the time. And they don't care about uh, these uh, metadata. But now someone could, because the, the, the contract is, like, is decentralized and you can mint um, liquidity tokens uh, on your own. And then you can mint and inject CAP25 metadata into it. And suddenly all liquidity tokens are displayed in the wallet with the metadata that, that were attached to it. So this is where the issue is. The issue is not for, um, on the side of the people who know about the standard, but on the side of the people who have no idea about it or don't even care. So um, this is where the problem is with CAP25 because it's too easy to use or to inject, basically. I hope this makes sense. Otherwise, I could bring up another example, maybe. Okay, well, that <laughs> helps. It's more words to it. So uh, if anybody has any questions with that, definitely uh, bring it up. Because I know that that's, that's a, a little bit of the part that's been, you know, harder to... Why is it that we're having an issue with it now and... I kind of get it, but it's just really hard to, you know. Let me, okay, let me maybe try to explain differently. So the, the, the issue is also that, um, I mean, if no one adopts the standard, it doesn't matter at all. But because the standard is used everywhere, it's like enforced. And when you can just attach these metadata to whatever token, then you see it in third parties and wallets or whatever. So you can make use of that. Of course, you can't like hack the token or take it away from someone or whatever. It's, it's more like um, an issue off, off the chain, not on the chain. Like spoofing or changing metadata to whatever you want to. To display whatever you wanted to display. Is that what you're trying to say? Or Yeah. Yeah. For instance, okay. you, when you take these liquidity tokens and inject your metadata you can make a marketing campaign <laughs> whatever because it's like remember when i don't remember if it was backy or who was like spoofing like space bots and cnft.io is that that's that that's a different thing oh okay okay <laughs> because i'm I'm just trying to like understand like the, the actual danger but yeah i i see what you mean um but we'll just have to you know, keep on trying to visualize it. <laughs> uh, but so far, I mean, I understand like the, the benefits that it brings. So um, definitely in that department, I'm good. So native scripts ver versus uh, um, Pluto. Yes. What do you have to say about that? Um, so native scripts are, of course, very easy to use. That's why it's like, the majority or like everyone is using it um but 
Yeah, it's very simple. <laughs> you can, most people use it to just, yeah, lock their assets with a, with a slot, with a certain slot. And that's basically it. But Plutus allows you to embed any logic you want to into your contract. So as I said before, this whole idea of something is locked versus unlocked doesn't exist anymore in Plutus because you can go, you can extend it much, much further and be much more creative with whatever logic you want to embed. For instance, um, in case of the matrix berries, so the mint was open, like what, what means open, it was one week, but every NFT that was minted was instantly immutable and it, nothing could have been changed afterwards anymore because, um, yeah, these are Plutus based, um, uh, NFTs and I embedded the logic into it and said, okay, when you mint this token, there can only ever be one. And if it doesn't exist yet, then you can mint it. But if it exists, then you can't mint it again. So you can do all of this crazy stuff and you can do different checks into Pluto scripts as well. You can say, um, do these metadata belong to this token or not? And the, con the Pluto script can do everything for you. So you don't have to do the whole checks in a server or off chain, but you can derive the entire security directly from the from the Pluto script, which is pretty cool because you just have to write the contract once, just have to be sure that it works, of course. But then the the chain handles the rest for you. So I think this is pretty cool what you can do with it. Absolutely. And then that brings me to uh the complexity of building uh this types of contracts and and why do you see the future in terms of you know making this more accessible so people can really start playing with this stuff is, is lucid something that can help with that and libraries can how can we make this accessible to more developers and be able to like come up with like really crazy cool stuff yeah for sure i mean lucid 100 is the right tool for it i that's the reason why I created it because it was too hard for me. And I was like, I need to simplify all of this. Then I can make use of Plutus because um, that, I mean, that's also another reason why people use only native scripts because when you enter um, or like start working with Plutus scripts, it's getting a mess. And there are still a lot of things that need to be improved. Like we have seen it with the demand of, um, of the matrix berries where people had issues sometimes minting something because the wallet size was too large because Pluto scripts require you to, um, yeah, they, they have these execution unit costs. Um, so yeah, they, they're, yeah, they have these costs and, um, they need to be calculated and that when you put a lot of assets into, uh, this transaction, they will all be like put into the context of the script. And then, yeah, it, 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 mostly then when you have like 50, 60, 70 assets, whatever, it mostly fails. So there's still a lot of things that need to be improved. But yeah, I think eventually we will all resolve that. But um, 
yeah, of course, we need libraries like Lucid. There are many others also out there who are trying to simplify the process um, because there's a lot of stuff going on within the transaction. Uh, you need, need to put um, correct hashes in there, point the redeemer and stuff like that to the right input and so on. Yeah, I don't want to go into the details here, but um, and basically we can abstract all of this away and really um, let the developer focus on the primary thing and say, okay, what do you actually want to do here? I want to mint these tokens or I want to send this amount of um, ADA to, to there under this condition. So, I mean, this is what it's basically about. Uh, when we can abstract it to this point, then I think this is yeah really powerful and then it gets very interesting what we can do uh, with all of this. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I want to see what Michele has to say. He's got his hand up. What's up, Michele? Yeah, thank you, Jenny. Uh, it, it, it is curious this this uh, last thing of um, people that have had issues uh, minting due to to the large size of inputs. Um, it it is curious because well, we have different ways to to get smart contracts, but Depend independently of that, there will always be smart contracts that may be bigger than others. Um, is there any limitation that uh, prevented to use something like reference scripts that would have reduced the, the size of, of the transaction and potentially, I, I don't know what, what went wrong, so I'm just asking, uh, potentially avoid uh, issues for who was minting. Yeah, I mean, you can reduce it with reference scripts, but it really depends on the logic. In my case, um, or what, what do you mean? Like, do you want to say that you don't need like inputs or just use reference scripts? Because I used uh, mostly reference scripts for the entire mint. So I reduced um, the, the the size of, um, well, like, yeah, the transaction size significantly already, but it still exceeded the execution units. Great, so it's a problem of its execution unit. Um, all right, thank you. Um, is it really interesting uh, as, a, as a problem? Yeah, I mean, what, what we can do is, of course, uh, deserialize the, the script context um, and say we want, only want to have ver very specific things. But the problem here is that um, when you say, okay, I want to take input zero and one, um, I'll, I'll only deserialize these two. You don't know if these are the ones you um, you specified in the order in the transaction because they they are getting sorted. So that's also another issue because you could improve it, but still this is this is a mess because you need to deserialize all inputs because it gets sorted inside of the context. So yeah. Can we translate that and what the user experience issue was so people can relate to it? Uh, <laughs> so the problem is that. Um, so if you want, if you want, I, I can give it a shot. I can try. So uh, the when you when you include a, a smart contract, it needs to be uh, executed uh, prior uh, prior that the transaction goes actually on on chain because we need to be sure that that transaction 
So that that's not contract. That's to validate that before sending it. Okay. Yeah. Which is kind of like what the it, issue you say that people were having. Yeah, and it, it, it then also runs on, on chain, of course, because we need. Does to that be translate sure. on people is, getting the berries, like uh, the the matrix circling and not doing anything, or did you actually get out a problem uh, of an error? I'm sorry. Uh, no, you, you when the, the script doesn't succeed, uh, you uh, the, the transaction, uh, it, of course, uh, this is implemented in the wallet. Doesn't it, it is not sent because otherwise you would uh, lose your uh, collateral input. So, you, you so nothing happened basically. That's yeah. for people. And nothing happened when they try to send exactly. The okay. Okay, that's and, what I wanted uh, to like. <laughs> so people can say like because different people might have had different experiences. So I just wanted to see like if anybody that was listening had that same experience. That's what you were you were referring to, you know. And because the the prop the problem with, with uh, large inputs is that uh, these inputs are passed uh, as a, uh, as a piece of data that needs to be processed on chain. So this is more computation to be done. And there is a limit on, on the number of, comp of computation that you can do. Uh, and if you go over this limit, um, it automatically throws uh, an error. So it, it's almost like you are not allowed to spend, even if that transaction would uh, theoretically have succeeded. But you have reached the limit. And so the, the transaction is rejected automatically. So this is the, the issue with the execution unit. It's not like a problem of the size of, of transaction itself. And that's Rather, beautiful that we have that because that means you don't spend any money, right? You don't you don't yeah. incur any any okay, any fees for failed transactions, which is awesome. Yeah, so I, I understand oh, better now the, the, the problem. And it is definitely something something uh, to to think about in general in that creation that's pretty cool well thanks for that uh for sure <laughs> a little explanation there are you with us Lida? you have any questions yourself are you cool here yeah pretty cool keep going <laughs> uh well um what else i wanted to talk about uh when it comes down to lucid i mean i know well, it's like a yeah, Why are you forming your thoughts on that, um, Barry? Um, what is the current developer ergonomics and like ease of implementing this new way of metadata, um, the SIP sixty eight sixty seven compatible metadata? What does an up and coming dev like have to know or like do? Well, I mean, that's what are we trying to figure out? How we can make that very easy and maybe put that into a template? Um, like, uh, I think how it's done on Ethereum is pretty cool because, I mean, I'm coming from there and you have all these template contracts. You can just take them and maybe change one, like uh, the decimal places and uh, the name, and then you can just apply it. And I think if we can get there, then it's pretty cool. But we probably need to uh, drop the entire Haskell stack. So that's what we're, what we're working towards. Uh, so we have Lucid now for writing the transactions. And then we get Icon for, or um, yeah, various other languages um, that are independent from, from Haskell. And I, 
I don't think that Haskell is that bad, but the problem is just compiling the stuff. It's it's a mess. Um, so this is where we lose a lot of people already. And uh, we just need to make it similar to, yeah, just, just easy, where you just have your contract and just compile it down in, in just two seconds and then, um, yeah, can just implement it. So I think we can get there and get better examples out for CIP68 also and templates and stuff like this. But um, I mean, I made Matrix Berries open source. So this is one um, place where you can go already. And the cool thing was that uh, yesterday when I said, uh, if someone wants to build an interface for all Matrix Berry holders to update the description, someone took my source code and put it into his website and it just worked. So this was already a great success um, because he didn't have to care about the logic of my contract. There were um, endpoints or like functions functions exposed and he just took them and yeah, it just worked. So I think we're, we're getting there uh, slowly. That's super cool, especially the template and idea. So doubling down on the... Uh, um, something outside of Haskell. Um, I know we had Platonic Systems on yesterday, and they have put a lot of energy into something like Pluto and Plutarch. And then on stage here, we have McKaylee with Pluto's TS. Um, um, do, do, do you do you have an opinion on on some of what that looks like the outside of Haskell bit is this is this Lucid is there Pluto's TS is this stuff like Pluto um, what is what does that look like outside of Haskell Yeah, I mean Pluto's TS could could work pr probably pretty well with Lucid because both is TypeScript. Um, then we have Helios, uh, we have ICANN. So these are the things I'm aware of. Um, they could all work uh, with with different off-chain tools. Like, I mean, Lucid is, is not for writing the contract itself. It's more um, the, the, the um, transaction for the transaction creation. But um, yeah, I, I, I looked at Plutarch and Pluto and stuff like this, but this is still... I, I, I'm not convinced, to be honest. It's still too hard, I have to say. It's very low level. Of course, you can write very efficient contracts and very secure ones, but it's almost harder than writing the, the contract in, uh, with the, the IOG version, which is Plutus TX. So, and uh, yeah. Really? I, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, what is your your take on this, right? So, uh, something else that came up yesterday is that um, the barrier of entry is a feature, not a bug, um, that it sort of lends itself to self selection. That only people who are are dedicated to writing safe, strong contracts are the ones writing it and that's and that's a good thing and it keeps the whole ecosystem safer. Uh sorry, I don't, what what is the question? Oh, that the barrier of entry as far as what you have to learn to to write a smart contracts, it being higher is a feature not a bug and and it makes for a safer Cardano. 
So it's an opinion. Like, you want to know what he thinks about that? Yes, that yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. What's, what's your thought on that? <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is harder. Or uh, it, it, am I going in the right direction? Or uh, I guess I, it's one of now if it's a feature, if it's if it's a good thing that it's harder, or is it is it a, a flaw? Is it what do you what do you thoughts on that? A flaw? What, what? I mean, I don't, I don't know what, what what flaw you you mean. Oh, like no, I mean like the better entry, I guess. Just trying to like uh, translate the question. Well, well, <laughs> well, 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 well if it was, was too easy, right? Um, or if it was easier or much much easier than it is now, then we would get crappier smart contracts. That that's the other end of. He calls like David came to a rescue. <laughs> um, or, or to be to be completely random too. What's up, David? Hey guys, do you have anything to say about this? Good morning. First of all, good morning. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, good morning. No, I've just been seeing him like commenting with like emojis, <laughs> and then he came up. So I'm like, I think he's trying to come to help us here. That's funny. <laughs> no, it's uh, good morning. Probably afternoon for you, Alice. It's always good to hear your voice, and thank you for all you're doing with Matrix Varies. I've been following the sips very closely. 67, 68. I don't think many people even have a clue what that truly opens up for our ecosystem as far as DAOs, NFTs, specifically ones with utility, even for fungible tokens and their integration into um, protocols. But I think, uh, yeah, this whole idea of, and I'm interested to see what Barry thinks about this as well, is it being a feature and not a bug. I think this is the main thing for Cardano. We need to balance yes security and you know the beauty of the functional programming language with adoption right and so i would i personally wouldn't say it's a feature i'd say because i feel like that's excusing us from pushing for higher levels of abstraction so that people can actually do things so by feature, yes, it is made, it's using Haskell by design for security and immutability. Yes, that is true. However, I think them saying it's a feature and not a, you know, a bug is more of us kind of copping out. And instead of us looking to, um, you know, solutions like uh, people that are trying to do Helios, you know, um, doing smart contracts and TypeScript, I do think that we need to press for more accessible uh, languages because I personally don't believe that Plutus TX is the end-all be-all as far as writing smart contracts. If that's the case, I think that, you know, we are severely limiting, you know, those who want to come and build serious protocols on the Cardano blockchain. And we can sit here and say this all we want to, but it's really speakers like Alice here. Uh, how, does, how do you pronounce your name? Michelle? Michelle? Can you help me with the pronunciation there? McKelly. McKelly. You know, to me, you know, Alessandra McKelly, these are champions that are just as important, in my opinion, as ILG. Because from a standpoint of somebody who wants to build something on Cardano, I see them as more champions because they're making Cardano accessible. You know, they're really out here doing God's work. I've actually looked at McKelly's entire repo of translating, you know, just Plutus typings into TypeScript typings. And even that is like, I didn't realize like how much work that was just to get like basic Plutus TX typings into TypeScript. Now, for a developer coming in, 
that's like heavenly, right? Like this is like God's work. And I think that I have a ton of things that I would love to develop in my mind. Like I'm a software engineer. So I do go back and read all of Alessandro's code, all of McKelly's code. And um, the problem is that I don't have the time that Alessandro has or, you know, the passion to do these things. I'm just waiting for a TypeScript library like Lucid that I can use to write a smart contract. All of my smart contracts doesn't need the quote unquote features that's in Plutus TX. I just simply need to write a smart contract that does something like staking of an NFT. And I should be able to do that in a programming language that's familiar and accessible while still maintaining security. So for me personally, I wanted to thank Alessandro, Michele, and, and those who are doing these things to make Cardano accessible. Because I believe five, 10 years from now, most people aren't going to be writing smart contracts in Plutus TX. I think they're going to be writing them in different languages that basically compile down to Plutus core that then, you know, the blockchain will use to validate. And I think then we will truly see adoption of Cardano at a much broader and and bigger level. So um, to say all, I say all of that to say the whole feature thing, I think is just more of the Cardano purist and academics, you know, fighting to, I don't want to say gatekeep, but they're, they're fighting for Plutus TX, which is great. But I think there's another camp like Alessandro, McKelly and others that think, you know, we, we still need to make this accessible while respecting the beauty of Plutus. Great. Oh, go ahead, Alex. Yeah. So first, first of all, thank you, David, for your kind words. And I think I got the question also from before. <laughs> so no, it's not a flaw. It's like it's designed to be like this. But um, I think Charles said it like this, um, that we um, do it, do it um, in the opposite way from Ethereum. They started from being very expressive, but they can't go back and make it less expressive to what is actually needed for a contract language. And Cardano starts from being very, very less uh, or a little expressive to uh, and then, but can then be more expressive over time because we can add it in if we want to, like we did now with uh, the Vosel hot fork, we uh, enabled these reference scripts, reference inputs and stuff like this. So, um, and we can do this um, every time when we say, hey, we have this problem, we can fix that and put it into uh, Cardano. And I mean, the, the core idea of Cardano was also not to only have um, Plutus, or just be entirely only UTXO based, but the, the idea was that we have this base layer and then get all these execution layers on top. Um, so we could absorb um, everything into Cardano if we want to, when people say, hey, okay, I, I'm good with compromising a little bit of the security, but um, I need uh, some other like features or whatever. Um, so I, I think this is all happening, but it takes time because um, yeah, building these bridges and building all this stuff. Yeah, it just uh, is a massive effort. Can you double down on that on that security bit? Um, does the smart contracts written in in other languages that Matt Haskell and Plutus TX does that inherently changes its security of uh, how secure that contract is, um, or is that just an urban myth? You mean? Um... 
on Cardano in different languages, or you mean like um, Ethereum versus Cardano? Um, on Cardano, on Cardano in different languages. Um, so like yeah. Helios or Icon or you know Pluto's TS. It um the it doesn't really change the security. It's just that of course the language is very young, and there can be bugs in there that uh, the contract compiles to something not uh, correct or what it should be um, intended to be. Um, so that, that's the risk you face initially, but I think these languages will mature over time. But then it's, um, you have the same um, concept like with uh, Plutus TX or whatever, or like with the Haskell library, because this is all dependent on, on the UTXO or EUTXO model. You, you always have to follow the same idea or rules and it doesn't really, uh, you don't change this core idea in, in another language. You still have to write in a functional way. You can't have mutable variables and stuff like this. Um, so yeah, that it, it doesn't really reduce security. So triple down on, on that, um, <laughs> does seem really, does seem really, uh, oh, it, the, the one thing is my, it might compile to something you want intending or something along those lines is that something the developer will know before you deploy that contract or are, are there certain classes of of stuff that wouldn't show up until it's on chain um you mean like uh um i'm not sure if i got the question i'm <laughs> sorry david what's up no, i just want to expand on what alice was saying is that Security, it, 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 I guess there's two kind of vectors for security. One is what Alice was saying. You still have to use UTXOs. If I'm using Helios, I still have to use the same constructs. You also have to remember that all of these languages, Helios, whatever you're using, Plutus TX is going to have to compile down to Plutus Core at the end of the day, right? So you still have the security at that layer. Now, what Alice is saying is, and what you know, I agree with is, it's like translated between different languages, right? Like, you know, you're going between slang and then proper English, right? So, yes, there could be a, there is a slight, there is an attack vector kind of um, introduced when we're translating, right, from, you know, a higher level language that's easier to use down. So that can have and what you're asking for is, will a developer know that ahead of time? I think that's why it's important that Alice and McKelly, they're in the spirit of doing things open source. These types of translation errors or potential errors will be found and seen by the community. Now, if you're building a proprietary language, right, or a proprietary, what they're called DSL, domain-specific language, then, yeah, you're going to have more of a risk and you're probably going to need more of an audit. So... I don't think security is really truly compromised. I think once again, this is the academic Plutus lovers saying that, hey, you know, oh, this is going to be less secure, blah, 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 blah. But I think there is, I think, you know, as we continue to open source things and have people looking at things, for example, I went and looked at McKelly's, all of his typings, and there's notes in there around, hey, this needs to be changed, or hey, this is not quite accurate, or hey, Here's an issue with going from JavaScript and serializing down to here. So these are known, you know, issues that can be attacked and, and solved 
collectively as a community? So the answer is yes and no, but primarily I think keeping things open source and the community really watching things really helps to alleviate any attack vectors coming from that translation piece, if that makes sense. That makes sense. And I've got some definitions again, but before, let's go to PG. What's up, PG? Hi, PG. Nice seeing you. Hey, good morning, folks. So, yeah, I got interested about the, the compiler talk. Um, <clears throat> so, regarding security, uh, there is nothing like a zero and one in security. When we talk about security, it is about the attack surface. So, what are your attack surfaces? So, when you're writing your DAP, uh, there is uh, there is a standard which says how you have to define your software if you are writing for security. There are mechanisms for it, wherein basically you tell what are your attack surfaces and how are you planning to mitigate that. So this is irrespective of the language, irrespective of whatever uh, you are doing, and it is all based on your specification and design principles, and that's where the EUTXO comes in. Now coming to the compilers. So one of the things um, that we do, especially in the cryptographic world, is that uh, we have something called as verifiable compilers. So I can verify that uh, the, the compiler itself is, is verified and it is proven to be true that whatever it takes, uh, we, we do that um, in, a, in a language called as Jasmine. So you can write your cryptographic uh, code uh, implementation in Jasmine, and it is guaranteed that the assembly language that you get for x86 is verified. It's, it's called as a verifiable uh, compiler. Similarly, there are a verifiable C code, uh, C compilers. So there are mechanisms around it. So there are ways in which you can make, uh, say, something like a PluTS into a verifiable com uh, uh, component that you can guarantee that whatever PluTS is taking uh, as an input and, and dumping out the PluTS score, that is, uh, uh, that is verified. So there are ways around it. Uh, do we want to get there? Probably once uh, we have those basic features in. So as David was saying, it's... Uh, it's kind of yes and no in in the sense that do you uh, do you think this is an attack surface for your DAP and how are you planning to mitigate that? That's how you go about solving these problems. Um, uh, but as a DAP developer, you would not uh, be able to uh, know ahead that okay, this uh, piece is go not going to generate the right uh, code. Uh, as a developer, you will always expect that it is going to generate the right code. Um, and how to make that compiler uh, verified. There are software engineering principles around it wherein we can take that and make that um, as, as a verified compiler. Excellent, excellent. Sweet, like Lido will say. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, just quick, couple quick definitions. What's ICAN? And that's A-I-K-E-N, yes? Oh yes, talk to us about ICANN. Yeah. You and we know you love it, and we want to hear about it. <laughs> so ICANN is um, is like a whole smart contract tool chain. So they created this Plutus Core engine um, in Rust. They create their own language. Um, so they they basically take everything away from from the Haskell stack and reimplement it in Rust. Rust you can port into WebAssembly, which you can then execute in, in JavaScript. 
So that's that's really cool what they do. So yeah, Icon is a whole like tool chain. They yeah, they build a language plus core and yeah, stuff like that. And I think they just recently or they are pretty much ready with the language. So um, I'm gonna play around with that one uh, very soon. Um, yeah, I think that's that's very exciting. How how much Rust would a person have to know to to approach Icon? Um, I don't know if you play with it at all yet. Um, how accessible it is for someone who doesn't know Rust? Um, I think so. Rust itself is uh, still. A little bit complicated. Well, not super complicated. I think it's it's definitely easier than Haskell. A lot easier. What is super cool about Rust is is that it's so easy to compile the code. You it's similar to JavaScript. You just clone the repository and do something like uh, cargo install, and that's it. If you had that with Haskell, it would be uh, really cool. But um, yeah, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately, with Haskell. Nope. Um, but uh, with Rust, it's super easy to do stuff uh, in that sense, like compiling, um, cross-compiling to other uh, environments and WebAssembly and whatever. And so this is really cool. And I see Lucas is here. So he's the uh, creator of, of Icon. Yo. Welcome, Hi, Lucas. Lucas. What's up? GM, GM. How's it going? Yeah. Good morning. It's actually, well, yeah, it's still morning for me in Miami. But yeah, um, Martin the CTO of JPEG, he hit me up on Discord. He's like, yo, they're talking about your project on Cardano over coffee. Get over here now. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, <laughs> fine. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> What's up? Uh, well, maybe the question that just came up, we're talking about ICANN um, and, and some basic definition of what it is. Um, and actually, I thought it was just a language, but um, Barry just e elaborated that it's a whole tool chain um, for building smart contracts. And then I was asking, how accessible is ICANN? Do you need to know Rust? Or for someone who doesn't know Rust, how approachable is ICANN? You do not need to know any Rust. It's not an embedded DSL. It doesn't work the way uh, Plutus does, right? Where they're kind of just like hijacking Haskell's like compilation toolchain to kind of get syntax for free and stuff like that. So you don't, you don't need to know any Rust or anything like that. It's its own language. And... That's pretty much it, right? And then the idea is that, like, I think Alessandro explained it well from what, like, I just heard him saying, right? Like, you have this, like, one tool, like, in the command line, and you can generate a new project with it. You just run, like, I can build, and, you know, you have your actual, like, script that you can use in your transactions and stuff like that. So it's, the main idea is really just to make everything as easy as possible and out of the box, right? Like, you don't need a set of cabal and all this complicated stuff that doesn't work half the time. Right, um, and then besides the language, right? There's a working Plutus VM that we already did, and then I think Alessandro's using that in Lucid, and then just in general, we want a bunch of like kind of convenient tools for working with smart contracts. Right? Can you paint just quickly, and then we'll go to the hand background. Can you just paint um, from zero to hero um, journey for someone who wants to use Icon um, from Writing the first line to getting it on chain, what would that look like? What's the story there? Well, at the moment, not too much of a story. Uh, we 
we just got everything kind of working end to end yesterday. So there's still a little bit to do in terms of, you know, uh, making it easy for people to download it and install it. But ideally, right, where I want to go with it is you run a command to install it on your machine, right? So if you're using Mac, right, maybe like brew install icon. Maybe we have something like icon up, which is kind of like rust up. And then it just kind of helps you manage different versions of the compiler, right? And then you would type in icon new in the name of your project. And then it would generate kind of like a, a basic starter project for you. And then from there, um, you know, you would fill out whatever logic your contract needs, right? So you would open VS Code. There would be a VS plugin. Um, we plan, you know, there's the formatter already. You know, there's going to be a language server kind of integration. So you get all the fancy VS Code features and then, and then, you know, once you're done kind of writing your contract, you would just type in, I can build, and then you could do everything as you normally would do, right? And to kind of support that, right, the idea is we're probably going to need a lot of documentation, a lot of example projects. Um, and I think that's really what's going to be more important, right, is uh, having kind of materials that people can reference as they kind of first start using ICANN. Are you guys going to go for font 10? Say that again? Are you guys going to apply for fun for Catalyst and Fun 10? Um, maybe. Um, <laughs> I, I know you guys did for Fun 9, and unfortunately, did you get anything uh, funded? Or? No, but yeah. I did get hired by the CF, and then once I showed up at the CF, they just said, finish Icon. So, <laughs> so well, that's pretty cool. Thing. That's yeah. awesome. That's good news, though. Sometimes things uh, work better. <laughs> yeah, so... That's great. Yeah, so I'm not worried about hear. that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. No, uh, it's, mean, it, it's good because it's a good opportunity for people to know. So if you were going for front end, definitely to have people just, you well, know, might. just go out there and support. But, yeah. I mean, cool. I mean, Lucas. I mean, Lucas. You would create icon anyway because you need it. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. You can it, do it retroactively, is... right? So you could always, you know, you know, do it if yeah. you need to later. Yeah, and I mean, Alessandro's right. Like, it, it, the project is a selfish endeavor, right? Like, I want this, so I'm making it, right? Like, you, know, you kind of show up and you're like, man, I don't like any of the smart contract tools. I'm just gonna make it myself. Nobody can stop you. I love it. It's <laughs> yeah, kind of the vibe here for that. I hope That's you have great. a few minutes because I want to ask you about Kelly. But let's go to the hand. Blackjack, what's up? Hey, guys. Uh, so uh, Barry kind of triggered me with the Rust uh, discussion and how it would work with Icon. And we have a 20-year Rust dev that really doesn't know um, – you know, smart contract language with like Plutarch B1, B2, whatever, right? Um, how would this help him in, in just as far as what he knows and then being able to translate that? Is it in essence translating what he's writing into a smart contract? Is that the way well, it works? Well, no. Syntactically, it's familiar enough to where that won't get in his way, right? Like it has a fairly similar syntax to Rust, so... It should immediately be readable to him and mostly writable to him. But at the end of the day, the target runtime is the virtual machine in the Cardano node. And that has its own, what people tend to call semantics, 
the way it behaves while it's running, right? Which is just fundamentally different than Rust and JavaScript, which is why I went the route of making it a different language because I don't want to take a language like Haskell, JavaScript, Rust, and then make it pretend like it's something it's not just so I can get it to run on chain, right? So, so my idea was make the syntax familiar enough for you know people in the C family language, that's JavaScript and Rust and pretty much any language with curly braces, right? Um, so it's like more palatable, right? So it's like you show up and you look at it and you're like, okay, like I kind of get what's going on anyways. And then obviously, you know, you would probably need to still read some docs just to kind of make sure you understand everything. And then... Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, that makes sense to me. And um, I shot you a message and then I, I shot our dev a message and potentially might be able to get in contact with you and then um, start working on that a little bit. But it'd be nice to actually, even if it's just in tests, you know, to kind of figure out what works, what doesn't. And obviously, he's been doing this for quite some time. So uh, on the rough side. So yeah, it, it would be kind of cool. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. No worries. Dope. I love main my curly braces. Um, so Rust had this really complicated history of what it wants to be. Is it object-oriented? Is it functional? Is it going to have all this fancy stuff? And, and the whole buffet, right? Um, is, is ICANN purely functional? Like Purely functional. Um, purely functional, type inference, and we have the pipe operator like Elm and Elixir, right? So ooh, instead of nice. dot chaining methods like you would in an object-oriented language, uh, the way to do effectively the same thing is with the pipe operator, right? And it looks right. nice and cool, and it's just much simpler, right, to just have... Wait, a... wait, you get the pipe and the curly braces? Wow. Yes, correct. I'm living my life wrong. I should, I should <laughs> stop everything I'm doing right now. <laughs> I mean, we can so. thank Gleam for that, right? So, like, for the most part, there's this language called Gleam, which compiles to the Erlang virtual machine, and it pretty much had everything I wanted in terms of syntax and type system. So I just took their syntax tree and their type checker and said, okay, now we're going to make this generate untyped Plutus core for the Cardano virtual machine. Right. And so, you know, they had the curly braces, the pipe operator. I love the pipe operator. It's nice. <laughs> Same here. Super, super cool. Um, Lucas, what, very... what PFP is that before like, we move into serious subjects again? It's serious subjects. <laughs> <laughs> it's fully, uh, it's custom made. Actually. It's super cool. I love it. Are you Brazilian? So, I am. Uh, yeah. I am Venezuelan. That's cool. Oh, excellent. Uh, Vecinos. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. So, so there's Why a project called um, Blub Galaxy. They haven't sold out. They were unsuccessful, unfortunately. But they were using this command line tool I made to actually generate uh, your collection. And I, a couple, like uh, almost like a year ago, I wrote like this little command line tool that takes all of the different fragment uh, PNG files and you know generates your collection. You know, maybe you want two thousand, ten thousand. And so they used that. So I was in contact with like the dev and I liked the art. And so the artist just made me like in the style of the collection, like a custom one. And then she used traits from my Yumi that was my PFP at the time, right? So you see the Yumi goggles on me. And then uh, she took a couple other things that she found. It looked me. customized. That's why I had to ask. I actually was like really detailing it. It was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it just it just sucks that the collection wasn't successful, but it's a custom, so I'm just hanging out with it. 
super neat. Um, hopefully you can hang for an, another five minutes or so, Lucas. Um, and let's just do a time check with with Barry. Um, we are at the two hour. Um, oh, not two hour, but we are at the mark of when you are scheduled. Thanks for being here. Um, a couple question. Uh, what happened to the rest of your money for Nami? You didn't claim it. Do you not like money? <laughs> yeah, uh, we're <laughs> I'm, yeah working on that stuff. It's this yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I'm helping him do that right now and see what's going on. Okay. So yeah, I don't uh, think well, we we yeah, need to talk about now. that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm curious now. How how do you know that I haven't claimed it yet? <laughs> well, I'm the I'm the I don't know. I'm the catalyst data guy, and my 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 records say you've only received 15k. Is is that <laughs> out of the 40 you were awarded? Yeah, I think I think I was too lazy yet. Uh, to <laughs> fun. Well, this was like the first round. They were changing things, and it got like it was really. I have to say, it was right when Nami was exploding, and it was it was kind of really crazy, just a lot, and, uh, and catalyst to like asking for things, and it was it was kind of chaotic. And yeah, Barry, just I, I, so you know, Lido was also concerned about your dairy intake, and um, he was wondering if you'd want to go to almond milk with your coffee in the morning as well. So what are you talking all. about? Barry things doesn't have, drink coffee. His things have changed a lot in Catalyst, I have to say, in terms of doing that from from those days. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Back then, back then, they were very strict about claiming the funds. I mean, I told them, yeah, my wallet has 300,000 users. And yeah, but they want to give me like, I don't know, a thousand per month. I was like, yo, <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> I had to do reports every month and... You know, and this is the joke with programmers, right? They will spend three days writing a shortcut that otherwise takes, like, 20 seconds um, to, like, optimize their workflow. But there are things like those 20 seconds or filling a report or one of the things that I always struggle with when I have regular jobs, um, daily status updates. Um, those are just so hard to write. Um, for some reason, uh, but yeah. So doing that, doing the calendar, well, it, it takes a lot of time, and for the for the reward that you're getting for it, it's just not worth it. Sometimes it's just kind of that how makes it. sense. Yeah, but there is the <laughs> thing of like they close our report, right? So like if the thing is done, they're like, you're gonna be working all month to get like a thousand eight. I was like, what is this? A month? It's <laughs> well, like it's not worth it. No, you no, know? no. That's what I'm saying though. <laughs> Even if you skip the whole seven months in between, and then I will, I, I will at least expect that you will do the one. Close our report and say this is all the things I said I was going to do. But this is it's what it is. People now. don't realize that like NAMI is like an open source tool, right? It's like, but the amount of use that has been that the the value is so much more than that, and and just to even manage the 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 help that requires it, and it's a, it's an open source tool. It's not like you know. It's, it's crazy. I don't think well, that this this is a good segue. Uh, oh, taken into account, you know what I mean? Like when I mean, you apply for it. I mean, if you if you go on GitHub, 
sort uh, and search for Cardano, then sort by stars, it's probably the the sixth repository or something like this. So it has over three hundred stars on GitHub. Um, even if Nam, even if no one is using Nami right now, I think it's still brought a lot of value to it. And just the fact that it is open source, it's so easy to um, audit it, and that I actually put in the work. So that's why I was so like confused about just being able to claim the small amount per month. And so I basically was like, okay. Having to work so hard every month still to try to get this yeah. thousand a month. It's just kind of yeah. like, it's just, yeah. <laughs> and the work you're still putting in, like updating the, the, the wallet, keeping it up and doing this and doing that. It's like, it becomes unsustainable, which is part of like the lessons that you got to learn about what Catalyst is and how to do this in a sustainable way. Because, you know, it's just, it's it's part of the experience, right? Having to go through it. Let's well, go. Uh, before we go th- before TCT, um, sorry. Uh, how the- are you doing on time, Barry? Do you do you, you do you have time to end to take questions from the two hands? Um, I don't have a. Well, yeah, I do have a question, but it's it's on particularly this problem that you're facing, and I'm just wondering, like, uh, you know, how many hours do you think you would have to devote to doing all that work keeping up with all the channels and communication with catalyst like how many hours or work out of all this development that you've already done do you think has to go into uh what you're just talking about there to get these funds yeah probably a lot of my time that's why it's also another reason why i stopped claiming them because i was like well i have to spend so much time i could rather use it to develop even more <laughs> i didn't care too much even though of course um these funds were yeah were nice to have but i was like no that's that's way too too much work yeah no it's a lot of work and i think it's work that goes unnoticed for the most part so i appreciate it um what's up martin hey everyone how's it going good morning um, mine was not a mine was not a question, but rather a comment. Uh, Emergo has like eight hundred million dollars, and we can't give this guy who founded pretty much every tool that we are making uh, like more than one k a month. I think that's. They, what Emurga has to show for is uh, Yoroi, and not, not a lot in the last uh, few years. So I think we have to really say something about it in, in social media and uh, be really conscious about it. Martin, you just want to party with the CTO again. Oh, he's gone, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he works there anymore. Um, so, and then, so, um, Barry, uh, well, um, what's your schedule? I guess. Cardano over coffee, coffee cop. I'm going to step down. I'm, I'm losing you. I'm rugging. Rugging. Can people hear me? Oh, this is just Jenny. I can hear you. Okay. Um, did you, do you have a comment on the, the thing that, um, Black Frost put out? I was trying to find a tweet about, um, 
the Summit API, and I know Nami still uses Black Frost, right? Um, that's the primary connection to the blockchain. Uh, Black Frost? What, what do you mean? So Nami uses Black Frost like to get. Uh, does it still yeah. use Black Frost to get protocol parameters and then submit transactions? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, he. Uh, I'm trying to find a tweet. They tweeted out something about trying to decentralize the that submit API that Blockfest handles for a majority of the transaction right now. Um, and I'm wondering if if there are any other tools that come in the ecosystem that might help with some of that. Um, I know with the Barry stuff and like getting some chain data you can do that yeah. now just in icon um in the browser um uh yeah i mean the whole uh tx pipe team is working on uh chain data stuff and also there is um Agnes and kupo from matthias aka kators so um yeah and then i think block for us recently maybe this is what you mean they they open source their uh, whole stack so that's what pro maybe this is what they mean with they try to decentralize it more right is there anything in the pipeline for nami around that um, um nothing planned yet but i definitely one day want to have it more uh in the control of the user where to fetch the data from but um it has to be probably very easy to do, uh, to set up because if you need to spend like hours or maybe be a developer to host your own node and stuff like this, probably uh, not very successful. But um, yeah, I try to get it in one day. I'm not sure, but I have nothing planned yet. I believe we're i think jenny is trying to get up here as well and we did do a mid roll earlier um but we did like a morning roll and we still have the lido minute um as well so i don't know if lido you want to jump into that after some remarks say that again i missed part of that quick time jump into what <laughs> the lido minute oh um did we lose barry um, it got silent. Just jumped in, so there wasn't too much silence. But we did lose Barry, and we lost Jenny as well. I think Jenny. Hopefully, Jenny's coming back up. Um, we can wrap up with the guests, and then um, we can do the light a minute. Um, since we're sort of getting towards the end here, uh, and we're almost at the end for Barry's slots. Lucas, you had your hand up. Did you get your word in? Uh, no, it, it's it's fine. Uh, Alessandra pretty much said it all. I was going to mention uh, some of kind of like transaction sub submitting stuff that TX Pipe is going to be working on. But it, he pretty much said stuff I was going to say. So. Great. Well, what's next in the Barry ecosystem of stuff? You know, you, you got Lucid, you got the SIP68, and 
trying to get adoption for that and NAMI and Spitzbuth. I'm forgetting what else you're working on. Um, what's what what's coming up for Barry? <laughs> um, I mean, most of the stuff I've been working on right now, Lucid, etc. It's it's all going towards uh, Spitzbuth mainly. I mean. The main thing, or the primary focus, is is the migration, and um, the I launch the matrix varies to kind of like make people people aware of the standard and try to get um, uh, third parties and wallets to to integrate the standard, so that whenever I make the migration, um, yeah, it's a smooth experience. Then I'm probably gonna work on a. Um, New marketplace. I need to build one for for space buds. Um, not a not a uh, marketplace for everyone. So <laughs> no worries, Martin. Oh, don't <laughs> no worry, don't no worry. Oh my god, that was funny. I'm sorry, guys. This was crazy. God, I got booted. Like it was so weird. Um, just wanted to to say something to Alessandro. Uh, thank God that he's not uh, building another marketplace. And if you are making a contract to migrate uh, the space bots, so migrate from CAP25 uh, to the new CAP68, uh, we can help you out. Uh, we can pour some resources into it because we are very interested in making some kind of CIP to enforce royalties on chain uh, and, you know, basically burn uh, or have some kind of system that punishes uh, whoever doesn't pay royalties or have some kind of way to for for it to not happen what happened on, on other chains, right? And the whole ecosystem being decimated by uh, zero royalty marketplaces. So if we can uh, be the chain that has this uh, natively uh, and is uh, and basically, you know, enforces that on a on a blockchain level for redundance um then we can thrive as an uh, nft ecosystem so uh, we can work together on on, on that uh, type of contract yeah sure i mean uh, we're both in this one discord group we can definitely chat more about it um it's it's a difficult problem for sure i don't think we will ever get it on the ledger level and probably it's also not a good idea to have it directly uh, in the ledger rules, uh, maybe it should be part of a like another layer or whatever. Um, but um, yeah, on, on marketplace levels, it can be enforced, but then it's more like a um, social or like it depends on on the community and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. In with the the new CIP that's programmable you can basically burn the metadata that's uh, locked uh, on the, I don't know how you call that output, the one that has the datum. So you could basically destroy that uh, if someone has proof that you didn't pay royalties or something like that. Yeah, output but, uh, datums. I mean, yeah, can, can you just, can you like uh, real quick before you keep going so people can follow, what are output datums? Um, it's like, Putting data in an output. <laughs> Which Open is a real world. <laughs> with, with, with Basil, with, with Basil, we had the ability to uh, 
in line data. This was one of the, the news of Basel. And um, prior Basel, we only uh, had ashes, which are not the actual datum, only the ash of the datum. And you have to provide also the datum uh, in Plutus V1. With Plutus V2, you have uh, the datum right there. So you do not have the ashes. And that is the actual data that you need. All right, thanks. OK, well, so give, give me a little, a little example. So whenever you, you spend, in, spend in UTXO, uh, the chain checks if you signed um, the, the transaction in order or like you have the witness for, for this UTXO. Um, but with Plutus, you can have arbitrary logic and then, for instance, you say, okay, this UTXO cannot only be spent by, by a certain address or by a certain key, but it can be spent by, for instance, you lock um, some data, like a password in an output, and then you say, okay, when you provide the exact same password, then you can also spend uh, the UTXO. So this, this datum field gives you uh, the, the flexibility to, um, or like the, the necessary thing for Plutus contracts to work. There's like some extra data that um, yeah allows you. So to... that's what Martin is trying to leverage on to to enforce this contract, this royalties. No, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. well, kind of. I mean, let, need... let me explain. If you have an image link and that image link represents your NFT, if you destroy that, then it's burned. That's as easy as I can put it. And the criteria to destroy that. Uh, or burn that would be if the user didn't pay royalties, which is you know hard to do. Um, but there, uh, we can uh, plan some things to figure out whether a user did or did not pay royalties, and if, say, the token was involved in a transaction that did not uh, uh, pay the proper royalties, you can uh, burn the asset somehow. You you mean the user can burn the the like uh, burn this royalty UTXO or what? I mean the one that's I mean, locked in the script. Huh? Oh, but what happens if you steal something and then somebody like has? Ah, it's, it's a little tricky, huh? It, it's a, oh, it is huh? definitely, and you will see it once we reach a conclusion with uh, Alice and uh, some some other people we we're talking to. Uh, to make this, yeah, I'm uh, sure you guys will like talk about that, but it's in, in the sense of like you know, just like the co concept of it, just to think about like you have to have exceptions and things like that, right? I guess it's just tricky, oh. yeah. Just to be clear, it's like I'm gonna burn that... a Mona Lisa because somebody like transacted it on the black market, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Just to be absolutely clear, uh, this is something that is opt-in. It's not something that uh, uh, we could burn as a marketplace or anything. It would probably go through a vote or a proof that someone did not pay royalties. And it's opt-in and requires a verification. It's not that it's controlled by a central party of some sort. So don't uh, be scared uh, of that. Wait, I, I have a question again so you you mean someone can burn this royalty nft but do you mean like the user or the creator themselves like how how are you able to escape the royalty fees 
Uh, you mean uh, how would you be able to burn the token? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Uh, by basically spending the output that uh, contains the datum, so it's not a UTXO anymore. Yeah, but it's controlled, maybe not by a user. It's or do you mean like that if you list a collection on the marketplace and it follows this whatever CIP it is, or like it follows the standard, um, and then who can cr burn this royalty NFT that is locked in this output? It can, it can only be the creator. But why would he do that? That he can't even use this marketplace or any marketplace. Um, I think uh, we're confusing the royalty NFT here. Um, yeah. So it's, it's sure. CIP 68 that is two tokens, the one that moves and the one that's locked, right? Yes. So you would burn the one that's locked. And how you would burn it, um, it's still to be decided. It could be a voting system that if enough people vote, uh, that token is burned. So it, uh, the, whatever is on the datum, uh, does not exist anymore. It could be um, submitting some kind of proof that uh, royalties were not paid, something around those lines. Um, I'm not sure if I follow, but you can <laughs> burn the the royalty NFT, which is locked by, let's say, let's say you're the creator of a collection and you lock the royalty NFT in, uh, in your pub key output, okay? So no one can burn it, but you have to um, provide this input as reference um, into the Pluto's contract. So to check the fees and whatever. So no one can burn it except the, the creator himself. So it's, it's adding to the programmability of the contract where the token is locked. Um, but, you know, we can go back and forth on this uh, very long. I have to hop off in three minutes because I have a, an interview, uh, but we can definitely keep uh, discussing uh, about this on a, on a chat. Yeah, and, no, that's, that's really interesting. Different. Definitely <laughs> should like, have, like, you know, talk about it because it's fun to just think about the idea, even if it's not feasible or not, that's something else. But yeah, that's cool. Oh, yeah. Well, um, make a Cardano over coffee uh, in the afternoon and I'll join. Uh, but uh, I have to hop off in two minutes. Sounds good. Thanks for stopping by and driving through, uh, Martin. Um, hopefully, it would be great to... Yeah, I don't know. Could I know coffee in the afternoon, right? Because there's actually a bunch of stuff that you... Cafecito. And the, that the cafecito in the to, afternoon. That would be good to Alice, I wanted to ask you something real quick. I know they were like here like at the end of it, but I was having issues with my connection. I remember you posted something and I never kind of follow up on that. And you, you've proposed having an SIP, like a space bots improvement proposal kind of program uh, where we could um, uh, try to come up with like standards and agree on like data fields and things like that. Um, did, did you get feedback on that? And what exactly is this? Like, I just remember seeing a post about it and not really, it sounded exciting, but I just wanted to see if you can elaborate on what the idea was behind this. Yeah, I mean, this was just a completely random idea, but I, um, so 
I want to allow space bus holders to uh, have next to the metadata a random field that can be updated to whatever the holder wants to put anything in there. But to make this really useful, you need to standardize this field. For instance, when I want to display certain things on a website, then we have to say, okay, this needs to be exactly specified like this because then I can just um, put that into the code of the website and then you see it there or like uh, on other space buds, community uh, websites or whatever. So, um, and the holder can put in whatever he wants to, but when we put in this constraint of like having the standard, then we can basically uh, display it in like in a more meaningful way. I kind of I, I, I kind of dig that in the sense like trying to come up with standards with you know of different kinds like we have collections what are the things that we we could agree that should be fixed and what things you know could, should be could be instead of should be could be customizable and things like that right yeah, and uh, we... It gives we you a little more limit. standard and you can even create, like, you know, things around those standards, right? Totally. I mean, that, that was just a random idea and we can definitely extend it around or beyond the, this random field and it can be any standard uh, towards Spacebus. So, um, yeah, that, that would be pretty cool for sure. Especially when you talk about derivatives, right? Like if you want to do derivatives of derivatives, if you, if you have this kind of standards and kind of helps you kind of keep it functional, right? And yeah. connect and, and that's kind of cool. Nice. Okay. Well, thanks for coming, man. I really appreciate it. I know that it's uh, hard to schedule this stuff sometimes and <laughs> trying to find you in between in between projects when you're, you actually have the time to do this thing. So I really appreciate it. Every time you jump in here and, and share with us and, you know, it's awesome. And thanks for all you do. Thank you very much for having me on. It, it was a lot of fun and um, I hope it didn't get uh, too technical. Probably it did, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. No, I think this was good and hope this recording um, hopefully it gets a lot of listens and re-listens. So do share it out because I, I think a lot of important gems was in there for the whole space for up-and-coming developers and, and just feel like there's something for everybody, NRT projects. Um, so it was a, it's a good one. It's a good one to go back and listen. Um, maybe you didn't have a chance to take notes. Um, I took Ooh, can I just ask you something? Uh, if for anyone out there, thinking about um, whether they should be um, contributing to open source or not. Uh, do you have any words of wisdom for in, in terms of developing open source, a call to action and supporting open source development? <laughs> um, I think open source is very powerful because I mean, you, you've just seen it recently when, for instance, with uh, Icon, um, I just saw it and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I just looked at the code and I was like, hey, I need this. I put it in, we work together, and now we fix a lot of problems. I help them, they help me. And this could be like extended or like uh, this could happen 
uh, way more, and then we can accelerate uh, the the growth of the ecosystem. And um, the other thing is also just, I mean, the whole point of this crypto space is um, being self-sovereign, like yeah, um, um, and be able to to verify this, the things because at the end, when something happens no one can help you everything is immutable so you want to have a way to check what you're getting into and the whole point is not to trust necessarily someone um so i think open source is just uh essential and very important to to cryptocurrencies in general thank you alice good time and, yeah, that's that's our show basically. That was a that was a doozy. I'm glad we got the banter in before. Um because once 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 the ball was rolling, we couldn't stop. It was great. Uh, <laughs> any, any last words? Is there any catalyst today actually? Do we have to jump into catalyst or no catalyst still? No town hall. Catalyst is still on the pause, none today. Mm -hmm. Um the date for the next town hall hasn't been announced. Okay, cool. Um, but uh, voting reward was scheduled yesterday. So at the Epoch boundary, um, those should show up in your wallet. If you voted. Just saying. If you voted. And and good news, you don't have to do a report. It will just show up in your wallet. So there you go, Alice. That one's for you. Go ahead, cook time. Yes. Uh, absolutely. It was such a great show. Thank you so much again, um, Alessandro, for coming and Jenny for just being so active and being able to communicate to everyone um, just kind of what's going on because it does get very technical. And this is a recorded space. So if you miss the beginning or anything in between, you can always go back. All that good stuff. Cardano over coffee is scheduled monday through friday i have the times a little bit wrong i need to update that on the banner and in the bio but i believe it is 2 30 p.m or no 1 30 p.m utc to 2 30 p.m 2 30 2 30 2 30 to okay. 4 30 awesome but <laughs> it's, it's, it's oh, the nine, time nine, change nine, guys nine, it's yeah. throwing us all off <laughs> nine, nine thirty est is still true so we can just go with that, maybe. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, we have a YouTube channel now. Definitely give that some love. We have a good old link tree with tons of resources for you to check out as well and stay connected. I know we haven't been talking about the coffee that we offer, but we have uh, Cardano Over Coffee branded coffee that you are able to buy 100% with ADA, which is amazing, revolutionary, you know, kind of only something that has recently been implemented in the ecosystem, being able to buy IRL products with Cardano ADA. It's an awesome time to be in the ecosystem, guys. But other than that, um, Lido, I'll let you close it out. That's all the notes from me. Jenny, anything from you? Oh, yeah, no, definitely give some love to that YouTube. Uh, I guess I'll follow uh will you know help out 
help out spread the word. We're here to help uh, spread education, connect uh, the ecosystem, keep it well-rounded, you know, so the more the better. It just, you know, takes a village. And thank you for coming. And thank you, Alice, as always, for all you do. David, for all your awesome input. Everybody that came in today. Uh, just see you guys tomorrow. See you tomorrow. It's been fun hanging with the Wednesday crew. Lionel Nation, Jenny Brito, always chilling, coke time. We'll see how many uh, replays we get on this recording, how much love we get on the YouTube. Um, if you guys like this, I, I think it would be a good idea to invite the TX Pipe crew to do a similar session and talk about what they're building and uh, the pushing the envelope on accessibility and stuff. Um, so if you want to see that, do the retweet. Uh, not do the retweet. Replay this. Uh, retweet the space. Um, let have people play it. Um, give it some love. Um, that way we know you enjoy the content and we'll get more of the same going. Thanks for being here. See you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Bring your banter before the guest starts. Because once we get going, we may not stop. Here comes the sweet, sweet rug. <laughs>